Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that has its own Oscar. Oscar Meyer Wiener, that is. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine. It's uh, February here, and I'm back home on a Tuesday recording this for uh, broadcast later tonight. (laughs) Nice to be uh, back home again. Uh, Anyway, on uh, tonight's show in Pipe Parts, Tobacco review of John Cotton's Double Pressed Kentucky. And then my guest is uh, Len Fogel, who we met on the uh, Len, uh, with Merchant Service Pipes. Uh, Len's back on to talk about his time in uh, the New York City pipe shops of 50 years ago. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, a lot of history in, in those uh, great pipe shops. Uh, music, mailbag, and rant, all that coming up on uh, this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, yes, I am back. I'm back from Vegas. Did not have... uh, So it was kind of fun because, again, I was there uh, supporting my wife. So whatever the schedule was, that's what I did. Um, To those local in Vegas, sorry I didn't get uh, any time to hang out with you, but we had a schedule and I had had some free time, um, but not much. And most of it was on Monday during the day when uh, you all should be at work. <laughs> uh, anyway, I did get to go over to the Tobacco Plus Expo. That's the show that's been in uh, January in Vegas or February, March in Vegas now in one name or another for the past uh, 25 years. Um, and and originally it started off as a anti-IPCPR RTDA show. And then it morphed into, uh, 15 years ago, it was the uh, Roll Your Own Tobacco Show. And then 10 years ago, it was the Hookah Show. And then five years ago, it was the Vape and E-Cigarette Show. Well, this year, it was the, uh, <laughs> it was the Marijuana Show. And uh, you didn't need to go far to get some. There was uh, plenty of contact high there. Uh, but I did get to chat uh, to chat with the folks from Sutliff for a little bit who are exhibiting there. And I also got to visit with uh, Phil Morgan from uh, Missouri Meersham for a little bit. Uh, other than that, I saw a few friends from the cigar industry that I haven't seen in a while. And uh, we walked around for a little bit and uh, that was about it. Yeah, I got a cup of coffee and a banana and then we turned around and went back to playing tourist. Uh, Anyway, uh, just strange to see how that show changes. It seems like every five years it changes, and now marijuana products are all over the place. But uh, Lord forbid you uh, spark up a Marlboro within 100 feet of a school. Anyway, all right, enough of that. Let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. Hi, Colin from GQ Tobaccos here. We're an old-fashioned tobacconist with one of the largest selections of pipes in the UK. We have everything from the big brand factory names to the one-of-a-kind, handmade artisan masterpieces. On GQTobaccos.com, you'll find pipes from Dunhill, 
Costello, Salmonelli and Stanwell, just to name a few of the 60 brands that we carry. We also have pipes from Mastra Grandfelder, Peter Jefferson and other artisans. If you'd like to complete your collection with a clay pipe or a meerschaum, we have those too. We are mail order specialists and send pipes all over the world and anything outside of Europe is tax free. Come check us out at gqtobaccos.com. Cheers. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. And we are back. Um, all right, so this is the uh, final tobacco that I have for taste testing, and this one's by request by me because I was interested to see uh, what this Kentucky Double Press John Cotton's would be uh, would be like. And, and the reason it uh, the reason it piqued my interest automatically is because I'm a uh, yeah I'm a big fan of the McBaron H H Old Dark Fired, which is a yeah, it's a it's a heavily pressed uh, Kentucky burley, and uh, and it, and it's a really good contrast to my normal sweet Virginia Perique. So, uh, especially this time of the year when it's cold, and you want I want something that's a little bit more smoky, less sweet, without having all that you know nasty uh, what do we call it uh, Latakia stuff in it. Well, this is, so I was interested in this one and. I picked it up, and I've had it now, oh, I think about three or four months. So this has a little bit of age on it. Um, it is a 1.75-ounce can, and on uh, smokingpipes.com it retails for $15.99. So a little bit on the pricier side, but I think that's because of the, uh, the two-step process to it. Uh, the extra pressing and the extra time runs up the price. Uh, now on tobaccoreviews.com, uh, the comment or the the description of it is from uh, from Pipes and Cigars website. John Cotton's Double Press Kentucky brings a new approach to pressed tobaccos that's almost revolutionary. It starts with smoky, dark fired Kentucky blended with uh, sweet Virginias. These are pressed, sliced into flakes, which are then tumbled out into a ribbon. The tobacco is allowed to breathe and then moved back to the press to be formed into a crumble cake. This causes a second maturation cycle, which deepens the flavor and takes any sharp edges off the blend. The aroma in the tin will enrapture you, and the flavor is so rich that you'll want to go back for another bowl. Get ready for a new experience with John Cotton's Double Pressed Kentucky. Now there's a lot of stuff in there. So again, the the double the two-step process explains the pricing because of the time and the labor. Um, I do agree with the aroma. If you like that burly aroma, boy, you're gonna like this for sure. I mean, it's it, it's just full of that burliness. The Virginias are barely noticeable in it. Uh, it does come. It says it's cut as a crumble cake, but yet it's really a crumble cake plug that falls apart real easily. Um, I'm going to jump right into the different smoking that I did with it. And this one, I found it worked better at the current moisture level in the tin and in a smaller pipe. 
and this is completely backwards from what I normally find in tobaccos where I like them a little drier. Uh, this one, I liked the, I liked it directly out of the tin at that moisture level. So a little unique for me. Uh, but I found that if you, if it got too dry, you got a lot of that burly forward flavor and none of the other nuances to it. So, uh, if I were comparing it to something, well, it does have that HH old dark fired flavor to it. And I almost would call this, you know, I, I'd agree with most of what's said on tobaccoreviews.com as it's more on the medium to full side of medium. Uh, I would consider this to be a light version of the HH Old Dark Fired. Uh, a good option if HH Old Dark Fired is too strong for you. Um, also a good option if you're normally a Virginia smoker and you want a little bit of a change to it. I mean, it's, it's got some good flavor to it. Uh, with the crumble cake, again, I was a little cautious of rubbing it out too much and allowing too much small stuff to get to the bottom of the bowl. So stick that pipe cleaner in the pipe, then pack the pipe with the pipe cleaner in, pull the pipe cleaner out, fire it up, and go. A uh, couple of the comments on, uh, on tobacco reviews. Uh, Lager24 said, uh, The press block came very moist and dark. You can smell the power this holds when opening the tin. What I like about this is the rough edges are gone as compared to a lot of other Kentucky dark-fired blends I've smoked. This is nothing short of stout and should be approached in that manner. I have a tin in the cellar and think some age will mellow it even further. Overall, a great smoke and highly recommended smoke in peace. Lager. Uh, so again, nice, uh, yeah, nice comparison to what I found. He found it strong. Uh, found a, a you know the it was a full flavored blend uh and then again uh, you know several there's several three and four star reviews on here nothing really jarringly bad about it uh, i think again if you're looking for an alternative especially in this colder weather to something that's normally a sweet virginia or a grassy virginia this would be a really good step i suggest smoking it as at the moisture level right out of the can and uh, smoke it slow try it in a small pipe like i did all right if you have a blend that you would like for me to give my opinion on uh, please email me brian at pipesmagazine.com or follow me on facebook or instagram and uh, send me a message there and in just a moment len fogel this is internet radio a Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark, and like you, there can only be one Savinelli. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and visiting us and coming back to us as promised is uh, Len Fogel, who we first met, um, I, I think it's been a couple months back now already, with uh, Merchant Service Pipes, but 
Uh, Len, I'm glad to have you back, and I really want to dig into your time in New York City and uh, and all those great old pipe shops in particular. But, uh, Len, welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Brian, thank you so much for having me. It's a great pleasure to be with you again. Thank you. Yeah, so, all right, let, let's just quickly, when did you, um, we'll just refresh, when did you start smoking a pipe? I guess... Um, I was about uh, 17 or so. That that would be around 1967, and uh, that's when I started. And, and then you were in uh, you were in Manhattan or in New York City when you started. Yeah, I lived. I was I was living in Brooklyn, where I where I grew up. And uh, when I uh, took up the pipe, uh, if you will. Um, I developed a serious interest in it and then uh, uh, started my investigation of uh, the hobby and um, went hither and yon looking for pipes and tobacco and uh, uh, all of the various shops that uh, began to come my way. And uh, that's, that's when I made my foray into Manhattan where there were so many uh, wonderful stores to purchase pipes and pipe tobacco. All right, let's go through. I want to hear all about them because very rarely do we have a chance to talk to somebody who's actually been through all those shops and you know, spent time in them as a customer. So I did a little exercise here, and I tried to remember um, the, I guess, the preeminent stores uh, in Manhattan and how and and it's remarkable about how many there were and how close they were to each other and if if you have a minute i'll give you the list of those those various shops and where they were located so folks yeah please i guess who are familiar with new york city would would recognize by their locations how how actually how very close these stores were to one another and actually within walking distance really and yet they were all sort of different and distinct in their ways. There were, for example, Ben Rogers on 42nd and 6th Avenue. Nat Sherman, in, in the days that I was just starting out, was located uh, in the Garment Center around 38th Street and 7th Avenue, uh, Pipe and Pouch, 41st and Madison, Lane Limited, Madison and 43rd, the uh, famous Wally Frank store opposite Brook. Brooks Brothers on Madison and 44th, Wilkie Sisters Store on Madison and 47th, Arnold's uh, located uh, in the 50s on the west side around 7th Avenue. I think there was, believe it or not, a Peterson store. Yeah. Um, although I, I can't remember it very well. Uh, that was certainly located uh, right, right, essentially around Madison Avenue, I think. There was Connoisseur on West 46th between 5th and 6th, Dunhill on 5th and 50th, Della Concha on 56th and 6th. That's 11 stores <laughs> that um, sold pipes and pipe tobacco in a very prominent way. And that, that is incredibly remarkable. And all of them, I think, in those days uh, were doing uh, pretty well. Uh, there were also... Pipe shops in the outer boroughs, as they're called, uh, in, in Brooklyn and Queens, uh, Guyers and Don Lu in Brooklyn, Saks, I think, in Queens, Maxie's in Queens, and 
um, I, I think that there were probably other sh stores that I weren't even—I I wasn't even familiar with. Plus, plus the shops that were located on Long Island, um, it, the Siegel brothers, I think, uh, who were importers of Sir Jacopo for years, yeah. had a shop in uh, the Roosevelt Field Shopping Center on Long Island, and there were probably many other sh shops. So, so there was a, a huge number of stores that shops that sold uh, pipes and pipe tobacco. So it was really quite a quite a remarkable opportunity for people who were interested in pipes and tobacco to get just about anything they wanted. Now, just to give everybody an idea of scale, it, it when you're talking about Manhattan, we're talking about the southern part of the of the island that does not include Harlem. Uh and those when you go from like 46 to 47th, that's usually what, like a quarter of a mile walk or less than that it's, to go up a block? It's less than that. It's less than that. They're long. The, 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 the block separating, you know, uh, 7th from 8th Avenue or 6th from 5th is a long walk. Yeah. But the distance between uh, 43rd and 44th is pretty short. There's just no question. I mean, if you wanted to just spend an afternoon on a Saturday just going to all the pipe shops, you could actually, you know, except for Barclay Rex, which was a very famous store that was located in the financial center uh, down around Wall Street uh, on Maiden Lane, you could pretty much go to just about all of those those shops if uh, you wanted to walk them. You could do it in an afternoon. Now, would in general, would those shops all carry the same assortment of pipes and tobaccos, or would they just? I mean, I know Dunhill would specialize in Dunhill, and yeah. Uh, yeah. the the Lane Limited store would would specialize in Sheratons, but the other although stores, they had, well, they had although they had many different brands as well, but of course. Uh, I guess during that period of time, Lane, Lane owned or had a special relationship, certainly with Sharon at that time, and they were prominently displayed in the store. But yes, you're you're absolutely right. There were great variations. So, for example, uh, Connoisseur, Wilkie's, and uh, Barclay Rex downtown uh, had uh, uh, a lot of what we would then call natural briar pipes. They were just, uh, they were pipes that uh, uh, weren't stained uh, or shellacked or varnished, just a little carnauba for a buff, and that was about it. And uh, those those stores uh, certainly promoted the idea that, uh, uh, in their view, natural briar pipes smoked better because the pores of the wood were not would not be blocked with stain or uh, shellac or lacquer or anything, and therefore they would smoke better. Uh, Wilkie certainly sold pipes that were like that, Connoisseur did, and um, Barclay Rex had a combination of those types of pipes plus others, uh, but um, I think they may have had somewhat of a preference for the natural briar. Uh, other shops uh, just simply had a, a large variety of pipes and didn't have a particular philosophy uh, behind them and some of the shops also sold cigars and other tobacco products whereas uh, connoisseur wilkie and uh, perhaps one or two others only sold pipes and pipe tobacco but wow. you could go wally frank certainly sold a a, a broad variety of of pipes and uh, 
may have had some some special relationships with uh, carvers in Europe in which uh, they may have had uh, through Halco, their parent company, I guess, uh, an exclusive for a uh, particular type of pipe. Yeah. Um, so depending on what you were looking for, you would sort of go to, um, you know, the shop that you thought would meet your needs. Ben Rogers, for example, which was uh, a shop that I knew uh, had a lot of rather inexpensive pipes. And I knew a lot of, I knew several people who had shopped there because they liked their prices and the fact that they could get a decent pipe for uh, not a great deal of money. Um, yeah, so I'm just uh, I'm just imagining you you literally could go to one shop, look at what they had, then go to the next one and and be comparing it to something that you saw in the shop previous or the shop previous, and you might make another trip back to that other one to go relook at that pipe again. Sure, or or you know they were selling uh, a particular brand, like several stores may have sold Castello pipes in those days maybe not a lot of them because I don't know what the market penetration of Castella was in those days, but you could see a shape or two in one particular shop and uh, it was uh, not to your liking. And then uh, you'd wander into another one where they were also selling Castellos and uh, uh, find exactly what you were looking for. Was it the same way with tobaccos because i know like the, with the wilkie sisters they had their own you know their own line of custom blends but did everybody yes. have some assortment of tin tobaccos and then house blends well um you know we're, we're talking about a period of time that's about 50 years ago yeah. <laughs> so my memories my memories are uh, perhaps and it's i guess it's an important caveat not not I'm remembering things as I as I can remember them, and uh, I may not not be entirely accurate. I'm giving you my impression of what I remember, but uh, there were some stores like Connoisseur, for example, that only sold its own house blends. Yeah. I think that was the case for Wilkie Sisters too. Uh, at Barclay Rex, you, they certainly promoted their own house blends, but they may have had some tinned tobaccos. And um, other shops like Della Concha, for example, had their own blends, a combination of their own blends and tinned tobaccos, as was the case with Arnold's and, and most of the other stores. Um, usually you'd find a combination of house blends with tinned tobaccos. Wow. All right, we're going we're, we're gonna to take someone a... Selling, not someone selling their own blends exclusively. We're going to take a quick break right here. When we come back, we'll talk about... Uh, uh, we'll talk about Len working in the stores and uh, more. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm Smoking Pipes, 
in faithful service of the hobby. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, uh, going down memory lane with uh, Len Fogel of uh, Merchant Service Pipes. And Len, the... uh, the good part is of your memories is there's not too many others that I can talk to that would argue what you remember. So, uh, so the yes. so there's the good yeah, that's news. True. That's true. Uh, uh, speaking of the pipes, uh, when you were on a couple months back, uh, did we uh, break the internet and and how are things going with uh, Merchant Services? Well, uh, Merchant Service Pipes is doing very very well. Uh, we are uh, starting to. Uh, replenish our inventory because we're just about sold out and um, we've had a tremendous response from the pipe smoking community uh, in perhaps in no small measure to uh, having been on your show previously. It was a wonderful uh, boost for us and um, I'm very pleased to say that the consumer response to our pipes has been great. People uh, like our shapes and they like uh, the way our pipes smoke. It's incredibly gratifying. And uh, so business is good. And uh, we're going to be expanding uh, the um, merchant service pipes into uh, other shapes. And I can tell you a little bit about that if you'd like. Yeah, please. So there, we, when we made the initial billiard uh it was a actually a variation on the original merchant service uh billiard we made a pipe that was a little bit larger than the original we have the original specs but we really wanted to do something that we loved and we thought that the pipe would look really great if it were a little bit larger and also have uh, a broader appeal to pipe smokers uh, especially here in the states Uh, But we've uh, seen some consumer response, um, which indicates to us that uh, producing the something that's more akin to the original thing um, would be in order. And so we are now in the process of making um, a version that uh, is um, going to be consistent with the original specs. And that will be coming out soon. It will be made, again, in the same finishes as the larger one. And I think what we're going to do is um, uh, use some of the nomenclature that was originally used uh, in the old merchant services. There's a a merchant service special and a merchant service standard. And while um, it's unclear exactly how that nomenclature was used, there was one one article which kind of indicates that I read in an old ephemeris that was uh, sent to me by a wonderful fellow named Gene Umberger, who yeah. a name you may, you may know. Yep. Gene sent me an old ephemeris which indicated that the uh, uh, the the special, uh, if I've got it right, a better grain quality um, than the standard. What we've decided to do is um, is uh, use the standard nomenclature for the for the a smaller version and the special nomenclature for the larger version. We're also going to be doing a uh, four square paneled uh, billiard uh, with a silver band that will uh, strike people as being very similar to uh, what they saw Crosby smoking in the um, movie Holiday Inn. And because we love bulldogs, 
and we think they are really reflective of the British tradition, which Greg, my partner Greg and I really respect. We're going to do a, a billiard um, shape as well. So that's all coming down the road and will be uh, introduced this year. Wow. Looks like it, it sounds like fun. Um, it is. It is indeed. Let's go back to the history because you worked at the Connoisseur Pipe Shop for a while, right? Oh, yes. Yes, I did. I, I worked at Connoisseur kind of on and off um, from about 1968 to uh, 1974. And I was a student in those days, so I tried to work as much as I could. Uh, I, sometimes I worked full time for periods of time, others part time. Um, I worked on Saturdays when the store was open on Saturdays. And um, so I, I did as much as I could when I could. And uh, I was very grateful to uh, the owners of the store at Burak, particularly who, you know, was willing to work with my uh, academic schedule uh, and uh, keep me employed during that period of time. So Ed, Ed's been um, I, the legend of Ed goes that he could be quite a um, an, an opinionated pistol. Yeah, you know, I, I, I know I've heard that and. Um, he certainly had uh, very, very distinct uh, points of view about uh, how pipes should smoke and what they should look like and what consists of uh, a beautifully designed and beautifully made pipe and uh, certainly didn't hesitate uh, to make that point of view known to uh, customers. What were what were some of his requirements for a pipe? It, they, he, you know, Ed was a guy who had a really incredibly bright guy who had uh, f fabulous um, um, chops when it came to designing pipes. His taste was superb. He understood the flow of a shape and what worked and what didn't. And uh, that vision was um, uh, came out in the in the certainly in the pipes that he designed. And when things were kind of clumsy or clunky or um, out of proportion, at least in his eyes, um, he, he certainly uh, wouldn't hesitate to point that out and certainly tried to avoid that in the pipes uh, that he designed himself. And, and I think most people would agree that the freehands that uh, Ed designed uh, just had a beautiful flow, their proportions were great, um, the transitions from the bowl to the shank were wonderful, and uh, the stems worked beautifully in terms of uh, uh, their their size, length, placement, bend in the case of bent pipes, all worked very beautifully, most people would say. And if he saw something that he didn't like, um, it depend depending on the context of the conversation, he might not hesitate to uh, kind of comment on what he thought was uh, off and was he making all those pipes there in the back of the shop no 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 the uh, the store was a very small store and um the pipes I, we'd make he'd certainly make a design that sometimes were placed on a piece of plateau briar and then uh, were basically given to uh the folks he was uh, working with uh, to 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 produce the freehand pipes, and um, sometimes uh, 
a piece of briar were, would be taken to, uh, to the pipe maker and um, basically said, listen, here's, here's a nice piece of wood. Make what you like. <laughs> Whatever you see, make it. So there were some specific models that Ed wanted made, and there were some that um, he, he just gave free reign to, to the pipe maker. And I know that because I was the guy very often who would take the, uh, the briar to the pipe maker, if you will, at least one of them. And um, I'd be in his workshop all day having him knock out uh, uh, a few pipes and then uh, bringing them back to, to the city. Wow. <laughs> Did the store carry other pipes besides the Connoisseur brand? No, 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 no. This, this was all, these were all concerts. And, you know, for a period of time, uh, I, I, not too many people will remember this, but when Ed took the store over and for a period of time thereafter, uh, the, the Connoisseur pipes had no stamp, no nomenclature whatsoever. It was actually, I guess, after I probably left, you know, the store and started graduate school and got married and so on, that, that they were all, um, th that's when they began to get stamped with the connoisseur name. So there were, there was a period of years actually where um, you could buy a connoisseur pipe, but no one would know it was a connoisseur pipe unless they, they recognized, you know, the style <laughs> of the pipe. Wow. Amazing, right? <laughs> And the store was, if I remember right, it was down near the United Nations, right? No, no, actually, it was it was not far from Radio City Music Hall. Okay. Uh, and the the store was originally, uh, to my recollection, on Forty Seventh Street, and the original owner of that store, who's who was a wonderful, wonderful Englishman, whose name was Lou Kellum maybe not the greatest businessman in the world, but certainly a, a, a character and a wonderful, wonderful guy. Lou owned that store and uh, was planning on a move to West 46th Street because um, he had lost, I believe he'd lost his lease, as did a lot of people on that block because there was a huge office building that was being contemplated for being built in those days. So Lou had a move. And um, um, he... Um, transitioned to West 46th Street and um, was there for a relatively short period of time. I started working there for him, and then he had a massive heart attack and died. And then the store was uh, without leadership. Um, a fellow by the name of John Crawford, who was an advertising executive and a customer of Connoisseur and loved Lou, kind of stepped in to kind of hold things together uh, the widow of Lou Kellum did not want to uh, be in the business, and John helped, uh, I guess, find a, a new owner, and uh, and that's how Ed stepped into the picture, and um, picked up on the the original themes that Connoisseur had, which were all natural brow pipes, and decided to 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 uh, use his vision which was to, to, to design freehand pipes and to make them part of the store's repertoire. In your time working there, did you have any, uh, any people of notoriety come in and shop with you? So, you know, there were, there are only, there are a few that really stand out. I mean, I can give you a couple of examples. When, when Lou was still there, 
some folks who were very close to Pablo Casals had oh. come into the shop and he, um, they were looking around um, and thinking that they might um, get one for the master. And um, Lou, who was a great lover of classical music, uh, found, you know, Casals loved bent pipes because I guess he could keep them in his mouth while he was playing the cello. Yeah. And um, he, Lou just picked a gorgeous umpol, huge umpol, and, and simply gave it to these people as a gift for Casals. And uh, I think um, in, in, in return, he got a beautiful letter from Pablo Casals and a, and, and a, and a photo. And I, so I certainly remember that. Lou was just <laughs> loved Casals' work so much that uh, he wouldn't charge them for the pipe. And um, one day, years later, I, I remember when Ed was there, two very large fellows came into the store and they were very natally dressed, but big guys, really big guys who looked uh, a little bit on the tough side. And they came in and they were very, very cryptic about, uh, you know, what they were looking for. And then they got into uh, the fact that they needed to produce a pipe for, uh, to, to find a pipe for uh, the guy that they were working for. And I think it was Ed who deduced that uh, it was actually Frank Sinatra. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they liked uh, a, a poker, a straight grain poker that uh, was actually made us, had some pretty old briar um, that was used for, for it. But they needed to refine the shape. And now this is a thing. This this process took several days to produce. They wanted they wanted it made in a particular way, and they, they we needed to do some additional sanding on it. And they wanted uh, uh, something um, pro something um, engraved in the uh, in in the stem, uh, maybe a couple of dots of a particular type that, of a particular color that were put in. And Ed actually arranged uh, to have that done, which was kind of unusual for us. But um, I think he was pretty much convinced that uh, Sinatra, who was in town, um, you know, had these guys come in to, to produce uh, a, a pipe for him uh, to his sort of specs uh, without coming into the store himself. You know, so, someday I hope to be rich enough that my bodyguards know my pipe specifications and can go shopping for me. I, I got to tell you, yeah, <laughs> you know, and you really had to, you really had to see these guys. They were right out of Goodfellas. I mean, it was really something. <laughs> <laughs> it was really an amazing uh, experience uh, to to see that happen, um, and and there are look there were other famous people who who came into the store from time to time. Um, I just can't remember, you know, all of yeah. them. And certainly, you have to remember also that I was there for a relatively short period of time in the history of uh, Ed's ownership of Connoisseur, which I think spanned uh, forty years. Wow. So, you know, after that, after I left the store and sort of left the retail side of the business, I, I, I just don't know. I'm sure there were many, many 
prominent people um, in the arts and entertainment and other fields that uh, came into the store and uh, bought connoisseur pipes. Do you remember what the uh, what the price range was of the connoisseur pipes? Yeah, you know, wall pipes were probably, I don't know, like 10 bucks or less in those days. Uh, but the Lanedsta, and I, I guess some of this older straight grain pieces uh, that we had, and we had some really, really beautiful things that were very old, made, made years and years. Uh, the bowls may have been turned years and years before um, they were actually in the showcase. Um, you know, it would go for I don't know, 100, 200 bucks. And certainly, wow. even in those days, the really beautiful freehand pipes that uh, uh, Ed designed that were um, made by um, Joe Cortigiano or Joe Medea or Tony Passanti um, were priced uh, certainly in the, in the hundreds of dollars. I remember uh, selling one particular piece um, to a physician uh, for about 500 bucks. Yeah, which was a lot of money in those days. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind, and we're talking late 60s, early 70s, when a, a brand new car was, what, $2,000? That's right. That's right. This was, a, I remember the pipe precisely. It was a uh, bent bulldog with a saddle bit, large pipe, beautiful straight grain. Uh, I don't recall there ever having been a mark uh, on the bowl. It was just a great piece, and that's what it went for. And, and I, I suppose years later... Uh, Ed's pipes uh, sold for even uh, much more than that. Many. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in your time in Manhattan, did you ever actually run into Wally Frank or Herman Lane? No, oh, I'll tell you about the Herman Lane story. Um, you know, when I when when it was difficult for me to work for 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 connoisseur, connoisseur because of maybe my academic schedule or other reasons that I can't remember now, I did work for. Lane Limited for a while, as well as Pipe and Pouch, and as well as a shop on West 8th Street in Greenwich Village called the Village Smoke Shop. But um, when I, I, I just was going to Lane to be a salesman, and uh, you know, I applied for the job, and I had to meet some people at, at an office that they had on 32nd Street um, off 6th Avenue. And uh, then they said, uh, look, you know, okay, we may hire you, but uh, you need to meet Mr. Lane. <laughs> so I had to go to the Madison Avenue store, and I was there, and uh, a limousine pulls up, and this kind of uh, large fellow with a huge German shepherd came into the store. That German shepherd's name was Petronius, and uh, Her Herman Lane was a larger-than-life kind of guy with a kind of a German accent. And he took me into the um, uh, the humidor, the large humidor that they had in the store for a moment, and he interviewed me. <laughs> kind of, <laughs> kind of interviewed me for this job, you know. And I was just a well, twenty twenty one year old college student or something. And you know, I, so I actually had an interview with uh, Herman <laughs> Herman Lane in order to get a maybe a part time sales position and working in their stores. <laughs> while, while standing in the open humidor. Now, now I don't think I don't think Mr. Lane, um, you know, he was probably 
probably in the neighborhood for other reasons. It just kind of knocked us off for two minutes. He didn't make a special appointment to meet me, but it was really quite quite remarkable that uh, that Lane himself would actually <laughs> interview uh, some snot-nosed uh, college kid for for a position, but he did. <laughs> and I have witnesses to prove it too. So it's uh, it's it's not nonsense. It's all true. Len, thank you very much for coming back on and doing this. I I won't I won't torture you with the fast five final questions again because that was just a couple months ago. But thanks for coming thank back you. on. Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, th- thanks for what you're doing with the uh, merchant service pipes. And uh, you know, hopefully I'll uh, hopefully I'll see you on the road somewhere. Well. Thank you again for for having us on previously and for walking down memory lane with me this afternoon. Uh, It's been a great pleasure, Brian, and uh, I, I thank you very much. And we'll be back in just a minute. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at C&D as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. This is Internet Radio. And we are back. Uh, and again, you can check out all of Lens Pipes and the Merchant Service Pipes at uh, merchantservicepipes.com. Uh and uh, keep an eye on what he's doing. I can't wait to see those new shapes. All right, for music, uh, today is February 11th. Valentine's Day is coming up right around the corner, or as they call it in St. Louis, Pipe Show Weekend. <laughs> sure to go over well with some wives. Uh, anyway, for, uh, you know, how about some Elvis for Valentine's Day and Burning Love?
I forget where I saw it, but I believe Elvis was a big fan of Dunhill pipes and could uh, readily be seen smoking them in the, uh, well, in the early 60s at least. Oh my God! You've got mail. You bastard! And in the mailbag, remember if you have comments or questions, email me brian, B-R-I-A-N, at pipesmagazine.com. We've got two shows worth of stuff to get caught up on. So going back to uh, the show with uh, Craig Cedarquist on, uh, Bluegrass Brian says, uh, need Craig to adopt me so I can travel too. <laughs> uh, never thought I'd hear butthole surfers and minor threat be mentioned in an interview on this show. Also, couldn't agree more with Brian about the Yorktown. What I expected to see after reading the description on the tin was what I actually saw were two different things uh, versus what actually I saw were two different things. Totally underwhelmed by the tobacco and couldn't perceive any evidence of stoving. Maybe we're all spoiled by McClellan, but when someone says stoved Virginia, I expect very dark brown leaf. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I never thought I would hear... Uh, butthole surfers or minor threat be mentioned on the show either but that's what we got uh and uh casey ghost says uh, regarding craig cedarquist surprisingly good show brian's review of yorktown uh was quite good even if i don't care for the tobacco so much the interview was surprisingly good considering the guy was really into pipes uh, was really into pipes all that deeply I got to tell you, though, it could be a cold day in Kansas City when I climb a 14,000-foot mountain to smoke a pipe. Uh, Bach is Bach. Not much you can do to screw it up. And then uh, Phil's Galore says, enjoyed your show as always. Thanks for the info regarding Marsha Kramer. I visited her store in Beverly Hills 12 years ago, and she was most gracious. I ended up buying a Savinelli Bing from her to celebrate shopping at the tobacco shop that Bing himself once frequented. I shall think of Marsha when I, whenever I fire up that pipe. And then finally, uh, a guy named S.E. Thiele, which might be Scott, uh, says, Enjoyed the show as always, Brian. Great interview with Craig, who sounds like a really interesting guy. I love to hike and have plans to revisit some backpacking at some point. Doubt I would survive anything as ambitious as he's doing. Enjoying a pipe after a hike in the wilderness sounds great, with or without monkeys. <laughs> uh, and then he says, and thanks for featuring the music of two of my favorite pipe smokers. Um, I'm guessing Bach and maybe the uh, Chris Thiele kid. Uh, could be one of your favorites. Anyway, uh, in case you missed it, uh, Craig made it back from the northern parts of Alaska, from uh, the northern parts of Canada in some uh, great photos. Uh, going back to last week with Brad Emery, uh, uh, Haunted Mist says, Music City was the Dunhill and Porter for years, weren't they? Yes, they were. Uh, for many years, I think like 10, 12, 14, something like that. Uh, he then goes on to say, if that's the case, give him a long, manly, non-pelvics touching hug for me and ask him if he has any of those Dunhill keychain bullet tampers left over if they didn't you can just shake his hand <laughs> i'll just shake his hand because they didn't everything went uh, to yeah everything was sold off and the new dunhill importer would be up to them to have it 
Uh, and then uh, Tennessee fan, TN fan says, have known Brad since his early days at Uptowns. A first-class gentleman didn't realize he was at Briarworks. Guess next week I'll drive down to Columbia for a visit. So there you go, Brad. You got one coming towards you. Uh, and then also Casey Ghost says, I enjoyed the show a lot. Pipe parts was very good. I have 50 to 60 pipes, but other than being bent shapes, there isn't much of a theme to my collection. I enjoy when Brian speaks about his Disney pipes. I like talking about them, but I don't want to talk about them too much. It runs up the prices. Uh, Casey Ghost goes on to say, Brad Emery was a good guest. He had a lot of good things to say. Sammy Davis is a person we just don't keep in our memory. The guy could really sing, though. And then uh, Ira, the writing rabbi, says, Hi, Brian. Enjoyed this week's show very much. I've culled my collection regularly over the last few years, using the proceeds to acquire more artisan pipes and some higher factory-end pipes. Uh, I've culled down to 25 pipes that pretty much all get smoked regularly, though I notice a few get a little less attention and could end up being traded away at some point. As you said, a movable feast. I enjoyed listening to Brad Emery. I always enjoy people. Uh, I always enjoy the people who have been in the industry hobby for many years and can talk about the history. Love Sammy Davis Jr., though not particularly this selection. And remember, if you have comments or questions, email me Brian at pipesmagazine.com. Or you can post them right there on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on PipesMagazine.com. If you have any uh, travel-related questions, Brian.Levine at MEI-Travel.com. And remember, part of this trip was uh, a couple of days in Orlando for uh, pre-wedding planning. And uh, this is the first time I've been involved in planning a wedding since my own, which, you you know what it's like. Um, I had very little to do except for to say yes. Well, in this same situation, I have very little to do except to say yes. Except I am the travel agent for everybody going to the wedding. So remember, if you're planning on traveling anywhere, reach out to me first. I'll help you out with, uh, you know, it doesn't cost you anything to talk to me. And if I book stuff for you, it doesn't cost you anything to book with me. But I will make sure you get the best deal, or at least you're not spending money where you don't have to. All right, uh, travel-related rant time coming up next. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. piece of traveler's advice and uh, and a piece of uh, a piece of hotel information that I've always kept when in my mind when I've booked hotel rooms and I normally do it if I can 
you don't want when you're dealing with a large tower hotel like in Las Vegas. Uh, you don't want to be too far down the end of the uh, the end of the row or the end of the hallway in the hotel. You don't want to be too far down the row or the hallway for well for two reasons one it's a longer walk when you get off the elevator and at the end of a day of walking around las vegas or walking around a big city who wants a longer walk all the way down your hallway uh and uh two well if you want hot water in your shower nine times out of ten the hot water the the, the water runs up from the first floor up to the top and the hot water will travel up the same uh, the same area as the elevator. So the further you are from the elevators, the longer you have to wait for hot water. And in the case of the wonderful MGM Grand, well, <laughs> uh, there was a couple times it took about eight to ten minutes. Yes, eight to ten minutes to get the hot water in the shower running on steady. Uh, and if you're eating or driving, hold on, because just imagine me standing there in the shower or in the bathroom waiting and waiting and waiting for the hot water to come and waiting and waiting and waiting. Well, you'd think a big hotel like the MGM Grand would have enough uh, water heater pressure to really get that out there and keep it hot. But apparently, you know, there were some mornings, boy, uh, eight to ten minutes, seriously. So... If you're if you're going to Vegas and you're in one of the big mega hotels, if you book closer to the elevator, well, not only do you have a shorter walk to the elevator, you have a shorter walk to the ice machine, you have a shorter time waiting for hot water to come to the shower. And it's not really water efficient either if you have to run the shower for 10 minutes in order to get hot water in it. Uh, that's all I'm saying. You know, a couple of things when it's important that are important for me when I'm traveling is good hot shower, you know, good water pressure, hot shower in the morning, really important to me. And uh, th this one didn't quite work. Um, I will say the MGM had three really nice bars that had, you know, Las Vegas price drinks in them, and but they were really comfortable for pipe smoking and sitting in. All right, uh, International Pipe Smoking Day coming up next week, so please make sure that you're sharing the Pipes Magazine radio show with all your friends and enemies and relatives and uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter people. Keep sharing it out there. Ratings or reviews, we love them. iTunes and Stitcher, that's great. Uh, you on Spotify, keep going because you guys are doing great. We're getting more and more listeners on Spotify, and I understand we're on iHeartRadio now, which I don't understand how iHeartRadio can be online that would be iheart online but anyway all right uh thank you to len fogel for joining me thank you all for tuning in and until next time Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to you. Till we meet
I had a hunk of burning love, and then I got a shot that cured it. <laughs>